you know, I don't want to follow God. I don't think God's ways are best. Most of us don't say that out loud. It's usually subconscious thinking, but like, I, I think I can do it better on my own. I guess I would just ask, like I ask myself, I'd ask the, the guys listening, like, how's that going? Like, how's it going being the God of your own life? Like, is your life exactly the way you want it to be? Are you doing a good job at managing your own life? You're a man of strong passion, a warrior of great courage, designed and created to conquer, to crush it in singleness and marriage, to master fatherhood, finance, and health. You were made to reign in life. Gentlemen, welcome to the Reign in Life podcast, where we engage men where they are, empower them with truth, and encourage them on their walk. You are listening to podcast 017. Man, it feels good to say that. This is also the first podcast of the year. I've actually been taking a break to redefine success and guys to detach from the works mentality that I can so easily fall to. And I'm just being honest. Uh, But do expect to see these coming, guys. I got such a good lineup for this year, and I've been pre-recording with some authors, speakers, and guys who've just been knocking it in the realm of, of uh, book writing and just speaking to men, speaking to the lives of men, and I'm guaranteeing it that you guys will be encouraged by it. I want to jump into this one right away. Our next guest is an author, a speaker, and the founder of the dadtired.com, a nonprofit ministry that focuses on equipping men like you to lead their family well. He's a husband and a father of three children. He also has time to host the weekly Dad Tired podcast. Guys, this is listened to by hundreds of thousands of men around the world. Gentlemen, I want to introduce you to the one, the only, Mr. Jared Lopes. Jared, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really well, bro. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on, especially because um, as I was listening to your previously released audiobook, uh, me and my wife thought that you were just a, a great character and extremely funny. Um, we just recently listened to your dad tired audiobook. And I want to um, just by way of introducing you to, to the audience, go ahead and uh, talk about that a little bit. Talk about what you're doing, uh, your passion, your mission, what's going on in your life, man. Yeah, dude. Well, I'm grateful to be here, man. I appreciate you listening to the book too. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm 32 year old dad. I'm a rookie. I got three kids. So I've I've got an eight year old, a six year old and a 15 month. It's always weird when you start counting months. So I I think (laughs) 15 month old, a little over a year. Uh, so I still feel like a rookie dad in many ways, been married 10 years, uh, spent the last 13, 14 years in the church world, uh, pastoring, and then kind of stumbled my way into leading men, uh, through a podcast and online community and conferences. Uh, I didn't mean to do any of that. Like that was by total accident. Maybe we can get into that if it makes sense for your podcast. But, um, so that's what I spend my full time doing now is speaking and writing and, uh, encouraging dudes to just like be the men that God's called us to be and kind of stumble our way forward. I love that, man. And you're doing a a really good job at it. Um, And I actually do want to do a little unorthodox plug right here because I feel like everybody waits till the back end of the podcast to um, direct everybody where to go. But for anybody that doesn't stick around past that one first minute, I want you to know where to go to find everything that Jared is doing. Yeah. So dad tired, like we have dadtired.com, but then any, all the social media channels, dad tired's on there and, uh, uh, like the podcast as well. Um, so anywhere you listen to podcasts, we've got a bunch of episodes there too, but I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for letting me make a little plug. You got it, man. And my first podcast that I listened to you of yours, um, I went on a run and I couldn't stop listening to it. 
uh, primarily mm. because you and your wife got on there and you were about to talk about an argument that you guys had. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to stick around to listen to what the argument was, right? It's like gossip. Like you just kind of want to listen. Right. You, don't, you don't really want to know, but man, you're putting it out. Um, and, but then here's the thing that caught me off guard. You're like, yeah, it's like the first time we argued in like how many months? I'm like, what? Oh, no way. No way. Cause I just, I probably just argued with my wife that morning or something. I'm like, okay, I want to hear what this guy's doing. I want to hear what's going on. Um, and you had me hooked there, man. As I unpacked, um, dad tired, I noticed a couple things. You definitely didn't get on a platform and start telling people how to parent (laughs) and you definitely didn't give any formulas. Yeah. I want to know like, why not? And uh, where did dad tired come from? Yeah, man. Well, first, before we dive into that, I'm like super curious. I forgot what that argument was about. What podcast did you look like? I'm trying to rack my brain and remember what the argument was about. Do you remember? You kind of were like flirting with her. And she wasn't flirting back. Oh yeah. She rejected me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you felt rejected by it. And yeah. she kind of thought like you were just kind of kidding. And yeah. what's funny is I actually turned around, uh, after just having that in my, in my brain and I turned around to my wife and I'm like, do you think you flirt with me? Uh, you know, enough and, and stuff like that. So I thought it was kind of funny. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you bringing up all that stuff. I forgot about it. Uh, yeah. And I think when you talked about it at the beginning, like my, you know, it's the first time we fought in months. Um, that's not to say we've, we've always had a perfect marriage. In fact, the dad tired started out of the crappiest season of our marriage where I thought we were going to end in divorce. Um, I was actually just thinking about this last night. We like genuinely did not like each other. Um, and, and some people say that like kind of funny tongue, tongue in cheek, like, but we legitimately didn't like each other. And, uh, and mainly cause I was just sucking as a husband and dad, bro. Like I, I was really, really terrible. Uh, right. I had gone through a church plan trying to launch a church and it went really sideways and bad. I was hurt by the church and the people I was working with. And I just kind of spiraled out of control. It was the first time since I was 18 that I wasn't working as a pastor in the church world. And my identity was all shaken up and I just didn't know it. Like I was really immature in my, the way I handled it. And I just pulled away from my wife and my kids big time. And, um, my wife, actually, we were in the middle of an argument. Um, so this will make you feel better since you think we don't argue very much. We were in the middle of this really (laughs) big argument. And uh, I said something to her that was intentionally hurtful, just in my immaturity and young, just being a young, dumb husband, I said something to hurt her and she started to get tears in her eyes, which was pretty rare for her because she's a pretty solid, you know, emotionally, she doesn't, she doesn't cry much. And so I thought in my, again, in my immaturity, I'm like, oh, I'm winning this, this argument. And she just looked at me and she said, Jared, I just want you to know that I've been setting my alarm for 2 a.m. every morning and I wake up and I go into the living room and I pray that God would capture your heart again. And I always tell people, bro, like I I would have rather she cussed me out. Like I could have handled that way better than my wife telling me she's been praying. Just hand her the knife. Seriously. (laughs) Just stop me, please. It was just, (laughs) I'm like, what do you do? I can't slam the door or like stomp off. I just have to like take that punch, you know? And I'm like, all right, what am I going to, am I going to be the dude that every other dude in my family has been and just bails on their family and their wife and their kids? Or am I going to make a change here? And, uh, that was really the moment that the Holy spirit like captured my heart and started bringing my heart back to his. And, uh, I, I ended up writing a blog about that. That kind of, it went viral. I knew nothing about like blogging or anything, but I just processed online. It went viral. And then I had all these guys from around the world who were like, bro, I I feel the same way. Like I want to be a good husband and dad and the man God's calling me to be, I just don't feel like I'm doing very well. And that's honestly how dad tired started just on accident. And it's funny how, you know, 
in that moment, you could have felt like you were the only one, right? You yeah. were alone in this. You're kind of maybe just venting and, and writing in a, in a blog and, and might, you at best could have related to like 10 guys and right. little do we know that there's millions of guys who are like, I have felt that and feeling that, or I don't even know that I'm going to feel that and walk into that. Right. Um, so I, I appreciate you just taking that platform in and running with it. Um, I, as I was again, unpacking and just, uh, different your book, I love how you brought up the fact that, um, uh, we shouldn't let sin and shame stop us from leading our families. And so that experience that you're talking about right now and, and maybe the, your early walks of your, um, of your marriage would have been enough to be like, yeah, I'm doing a crappy job. Let me just get out of this. It definitely wouldn't be something that would empower you to say, let me take up this torch that the Lord has given me to carry. Um, but you, you went on to say that our families actually need a broken man who's being healed by a gracious God to point them back to the he- to that healing when uh, they fall short themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, where do you see that shame is crippling men, fathers the most? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Well, I, I, I do kind of stand by what I wrote there. And I, I do think that there are a lot of, I always say there's, there's guys that are kind of falling into two camps, either number one, um, we just don't know how to lead our families because we didn't have any men around in our lives showing up to like teach us that. So I, my dad bailed when I was three, uh, a lot of guys like their dads either were physically gone absent, or even if they were around, like they were emotionally gone or even at best, like they were great dads, but they still weren't intentional about teaching like spiritual leadership. So that's so just ignorance. Like guys just don't know. That's I, I kind of, I fall into that category. So that's one reason why we don't lead. But another reason why we don't lead, and I fall into this category as well, I've got a foot in both camps here, is we uh, are paralyzed by our own sin and shame. Or another way of saying that is it's a, it feels impossible to try to lead our family toward a God that we don't personally feel close to. Or if we try to push our family towards Christ and we try to get closer to Jesus, it might expose in us like all the stuff we know we're hiding or that's in the darkness or the things we're paralyzed from our own sin and past or whatever. And so we just like, we don't even want to go there because it's just way too hard to think about dealing with all that stuff. And so what I always tell guys is like, uh, like, dude, you have, you have to understand that if you feel like I can't come close to Jesus, I can't bring my family close to Jesus because, uh, he doesn't want to be around me, which by the way is what Adam and Eve felt in the garden. So this isn't right. new. Like <laughs> every, everyone has been hiding. All humans have been hiding from the very first days of humanity. So this is a, this is a human condition. Um, but when we look back all the way from Genesis, all the way through the whole Bible, you see God pursuing broken and messy people. Like he just keeps getting closer and closer and closer. We see that in the garden in Adam and Eve, we see that as the Christian or as the, the Israelites are walking through the, uh, the desert, God is like right there with them. We see Jesus actually show up, which is nuts. Like he actually puts on flesh and blood and, yeah. and shows up. That's, that's incredible. Like yeah. God has a reputation of always being near broken and messy people. So I would just say to the dude who feels like, man, I'm just crippled by my own shame and sin. Like number one, you're not alone. And number two, you're, you're serving a God who is used to and has a reputation of being near broken and messy people. And like, I can just guarantee you your rap sheet, your reputation of, uh, of how sinful you think you are is like amateur compared to the, the men that we see yeah. in the scriptures who are yeah. constantly falling short. And yet God is still close to them. 
I think we kind of even get suckered into this idea that culture puts on uh, on the masculine role of having to be this man, a knight in shining armor, right? So like if you are a knight in shining armor, that means you have it all together. If your armor is shining, that means you don't have a scuff on it. Yeah. You don't have a mark on it. You haven't been through anything. But the thing is, and this is for everybody listening, I would never trust a man who doesn't have a mark on his yeah, armor. Totally. Cause that's a man that has not been through crap. Right. Like I want a guy who's been knee deep in bull crap, knee deep through whatever jungles he's kind of, he's been going through and then has the scars to show for it and been able to say, Hey, I've been there once, twice, thrice before I can tell you a better way. And even just how you talk about man, bringing other men in alongside of you, where do you think that you're doing that? Um, to the point where, you know, you're, you're able to, uh, to speak on how much has been helping you. Do you want to do that more? Yeah. So in that season, when my wife said she was, uh, you know, praying for me, I, one of the things I thought as I had purposely really intentionally, I had pulled myself away from other people, uh, especially Christians. <laughs> I didn't want to be around Christians. I didn't want to really be around anyone. I was isolating myself. I was leading my family toward isolation, just like pulling away from everyone. And so one of the things I told my wife was like, all right, I, I just, I want to start changing. I want God to capture my heart and I want to lead our family well. And so, uh, I made a goal to have a hundred people in our home over the next year for dinner. That's and, so cool. And yeah, my goal, <laughs> my goal was just that I needed, I knew I needed to be around people again, Christians, non-Christians, just like everyone. Like I just need to hear other stories, get outside my own head, my own life, my own like bubble and thinking the world's all about me and just like, what is God doing in other people's lives? And I just want to be part of it. And I need other people to like speak into my life. And so, uh, I made a goal to have a hundred people in the, in the home for the, over the year, my wife actually bought me a Polaroid camera and during that time so that we could take a picture with every single person. Uh, that came over so after dinner. Awesome. Yeah, it was really cool, man. So we, we would have dinner and then when we were done, we'd all stand up in the living room, take this Polaroid picture, it'd print out right there. And then we put it on the wall. Now we have, you know, that was years ago. So we have hundreds and hundreds of people on our wall, pictures wow. of people on our wall. And, and I'm just constantly looking at that. That's in our living room. I look at that all the time and I'm just reminded, like if I'm by myself, man, like I'm falling. I always think about like bowling. When you take your kids bowling, you put the, the bumpers up, right? Yep. Uh, right. If, you, if, if the bumpers aren't up, like you end up in the gutter. And I always say, man, like if, if you leave me alone for two minutes by myself, like I'm in the gutter, I don't drift toward God. I drift <laughs> away from God. And so, so community, like guys, for me, people is like putting those bumpers up so that I'm not finding myself in the gutter quickly. I love how you, uh, how you <laughs> broke that down in the book, because immediately the picture that came to my mind, um, about the drifting away, the natural drift away. You, t you were talking about snorkeling. Um, you kind of look up and you're like, you're <laughs> hundreds of yards from the shore. I thought of a cow. And the thing is, is that we get put into, you know, we get put into the world and we kind of want to be in control of our lives. And, and we want to think that we are, but we have this tendency, just like a cow, that we just kind of put our heads down, find a nice place to feed, and then we just find the next place to feed and the next place to feed. And it's not that we're trying to run away because you've never, ever, ever, correct me if I'm wrong, seen a cow take off at full sprint. <laughs> right. Have you right. ever seen that? Right. right. No, I don't think right. I have. So the thing is, is that they just start to drift gradually. And if you don't have barriers, 
they just take off, man. And it's yeah. not a thing where it, they just kind of want to escape like my husky. No, they, they just want to naturally find another place to feed. And we do that. We, we want to feed um, with this bad relationship, or maybe we want to feed on, on pornography or alcohol, maybe drugs. Maybe we're feeding with some activity or our kids activities. And before we know it, we're like, how did we drift so far? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's a good analogy, man. And, and the the thing too that st- stuck out to me about what you just said there about we want we want to be in control of our own lives. I I always think like that sounds great for all of us. Like we think I just you know I don't want to follow God. I don't think God's ways are best. Most of us don't say that out loud. It's usually subconscious right. thinking. But like I I think I can do it better on my own. I guess I would just ask like I ask myself. I'd ask the the guys listening like how's that going. Like, how's yeah. it going being the God of your own life? Like, is your life exactly the way you want it to be? Are you a doing a good job at managing your own life? Uh, and I think if most guys who are honest are like, ah, bro, like not really, like I'm not yeah. actually uh, that great of a God of my own life. And so, uh, I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's literally for our good to surrender. Like if, when we say that I'm not good at being God and I'm going to let God be God of my life instead of me be God of my life, like that's not so that we can just be submissive and depressed. It's so that we can actually be submissive and have more joy because his ways are better than our ways, you know? So, uh, real quick, I just want to go back for our listeners, guys. I have a, a quick question for you. Something that you're bringing up, Jared, um, just think in the last three months, 90 days, how many people have you surrounded yourself with positive relationships that you have invited into your life or have, or have allowed into your life? How many people are inviting you into their life? Are you being intentional about that? And if not, what can you do to be more intentional about it here in, in, in this new year? I just uh just have that picture of this man who's he's just kind of trying his best. He's trying to the the best that he can do. Um but he's doing it alone. So yeah. if that's you guys just ask that question and then just be honest. Be honest about what you can do better. Um and I can definitely attest to the fact that when you gather people around you, it is a powerful thing. A powerful thing. Mm. Um Jared, you uh also talked about the fact that we don't need to be experts. And you started off the podcast saying that you're a 32 year old dad and a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. Cause you, you're aware of it. You're aware of it. And you're not just kind of writing it cause it sounds cool. Um, we don't have to be experts in this parenting thing, but that goes kind of against everything that, um, everybody around me is telling me I want to get on YouTube and within 24 hours, I want to become the expert. Right. Like I want to go to a crash course and get or do whatever, get rich quick or whatever quick thing and get 30 second abs. And (laughs) I want to get my package right away. Like I want to be an expert and I want it now. I want it fast. Um, but you actually said our families don't even need an expert. Um, they need guides. Yeah. They need us to guide. They need us to guide them down the paths that are already laid out in front of us. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, man. Well, I mean, just to reiterate my point and to really, uh, you know, just put more evidence to the fact that I really am not claiming to be an expert. I legitimately this morning, uh, let's say it's, it's 11 o'clock AM our time, uh, less than three hours ago, bro. I was like yelling at my six year old girl. And to the point where I'm like embarrassed, I'm going to have to go back to her and apologize. We both lost our, like she had a meltdown and I had a meltdown. And the only difference is like, she's six and I'm 32. So I should have been yeah. uh, a little bit more uh, mature about the situation. So, I mean, 
I'm, I'm sincerely not just trying to like say something that sounds cool. I, I know I'm not an expert this yeah. morning. I was praying to God, like, God, what, I don't know how to do this. Like I need you. I need your grace. I need your wisdom. That's beyond me. Cause I don't know what I'm doing here. So that, <laughs> uh, yeah. that's just another, you know, uh, way to prove that point. Uh, yeah. When I'm talking about guides versus experts, I, we live in the Northwest. So we uh, we're in Portland area where there's tons of waterfalls and mountains. It's an insanely beautiful area just in our backyard. We can go hikes and see all kinds of crazy stuff right in our own backyard. And one thing I talked about in the book is how I can take my kids out on the trail and, uh, and think of myself more as a guide than an expert. So when we're walking, uh, when I'm, when I'm viewing myself as a guide, I'm just slowing down enough to point things out that's around my kids. So my kids sometimes just want to run super fast and get to wherever we're going as fast as they can. And when they do that, they miss really cool things. Like one time we were walking and they just walked right over a banana slug, like this massive giant banana slug. I knew they had never seen a banana slug before. And so I stopped them like, Hey, stop, look at this thing. And they, then they were just like amazed. They want to stay there the rest of the time and just look, study this thing. Or we'll walk in like they didn't see because they were moving too fast. There's like a waterfall just off the side of the trail, like peeking through the trees. And they would have missed that if they would have just gone by fast. And so as a guide, all I'm doing is slowing down to point things out. Uh, I'm not an expert in banana slugs. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm not a waterfall expert or like a, Hey, let's check out all these bird experts. I don't know anything about those things. I'm just like pointing out the cool stuff that's already around us. Right. And so for, when you think through that with spiritual leadership, like just be a dad that slows down enough to point out the cool things God is doing around you already. Like you don't have to be an expert in theology. You don't have to have the Bible memorized in all the different languages, just slow down enough to be like, Hey, what is God doing? Is he teaching my daughter or my son about patience or how to be more selfless or what it looks like to give up your life or your stuff for our neighbors or your friends at school or whatever? Like just how can you point out the things that are already happening to them and think less like, Hey, do I have all the answers, all the Bible answers and more of just like looking for ways that God is currently working in the lives of your kids and your wife. Yeah. So good. And I actually, we probably don't do that as often as we can because we have this secular sacred divide that can actually keep us from seeing that the everyday mundane, normal things can actually be used by God to teach them about his word, to teach him about his nature, about his heart. So when I'm playing Legos with my son, I have a great opportunity to be able to do that. Just like when I bring him to church and he's worshiping with me, there's, there's just no difference. That's right. Yeah. And e like even Legos is a great example. So your kids can build something and you can point out their creativity and then just point it back to like, man, you remind me of how creative God is. Like when you create something out of nothing, remember when God created something out of nothing, like he took the darkness and made it into these galaxies and oceans and creative stuff. Like we're taking this bucket of Legos and we're going to make something beautiful out of it. Just like God did like that super easy way to just talk about God. Uh, but that, that takes practice by the way. That's not some guys hearing that like, Holy cow. I don't even know. Like where, how would I do that? Uh, you just stumble, just start stumbling your way through a practice. Like your kids are gracious. They'll be like, don't know what you're talking about or not listening or whatever, you know, but yeah. like, just practice, you know, you know, I've taken that invitation again. I just told you I started your book yesterday um, and finished it today. Guys, very nice, quick, easy read uh, or, or listen. I started reading to it first and then I saw that you released the book yesterday. Um, and I took your challenge and even just this morning, this afternoon, I just dropped my son off at school 
and we're walking and I'm just like, Hey, Gianni, look at this tree. That's a palm tree. And I'm, I'm bilingual. So I'm teaching, I'm trying to teach him English, Spanish, um, and, and the relation. So I'm like, did you know that God made that tree? He's like, Whoa, did he make this tree? I'm like, yep. He, did he make this tree? Yep. That's a conversation that wouldn't have happened that morning. If I just didn't take that invitation. That's so cool, dude. I love you know, that. I love like I, I just I, literally just uh, talking about a tree. Yep. You know, and so then now I'm just like being invited in. I'm like, well, that went well. What else can I do? You know, yep. now I'm like trying to figure out how else I can point out God. And uh, I just love that. I love the, that. I the cool thing about that, bro, that. is that the what your son is going to be seeing is that God has an, a, a role to play in every aspect of your life, as opposed to God has a role to play on Sundays or when we pray before our food. And yes. that's the big, even beyond like the tree, right? So you, use, you used a tree as a way to talk about God. But the bigger example there is that they're going to be like, oh man, like daddy thinks about God in all things, whether it's anger or creation or something beautiful or broken, like all the things God is touching. And it's not this segmented, like we only talk about God on Sunday. Now, just in, in what we're talking about right now, um, how do you see that technology has been affecting that dynamic, the dynamic of us kind of taking the time to point out the amazing things and then our kids taking the time to admire the amazing things? You mean how has technology helped that or hurt that? Uh, affecting <laughs> it. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and look at the negative side of it. Yeah. Um, I know there's some positives. Don't get me wrong. Um, but how do you see it has been negatively affecting that dynamic? Yeah. I mean, I think we can all attest. It's interesting because we're all in the middle of a giant experiment, you know, as yeah. you know, like, uh, the, the technology that we have in our pockets, um, is just insane. And the fact that none of us really know what it's doing to our brains and to our kids' brains, uh, cause we're, we are the Guinea pigs, which is just really, really crazy to think about. And yeah. what's even crazier to think about on that front is that, um, you know, all of us were stoked about this technology, even as recent as like 15 years ago, I can think back to when I was graduating high school and the first iPhone came out and I like got it and I, you know, everyone was like, Oh my gosh, this is insane. Like we loved it. Couldn't get your hands on it quick enough. And now already it's only been like 15 years and already people are like, ah, I don't know if this is good for me. Like I'm over it. I mean, I like it. I like having the technology in my phone, but also like I'm, I'm trying to simplify. I think I might be addicted to it. I don't think it's helping me. I mean, that's a pretty quick time. Like jump from thinking this is the most amazing thing in the world to being like, I don't know if this is actually good for me. Uh, and people are going to like simpler phones and technology and trying to simplify. It's really, it's a fascinating thing. Um, I think for technology with kids is, uh, we're never going to like, it's always going to be around, right? Like our kids didn't know all my, my, one-year-old daughter knows how to like swipe open my phone, right? <laughs> right. Her little finger. So that's going to be their reality. And so part of me is just trying to push out as much as I can. Like I had a really deep conversation with my eight-year-old son the other day um, where we were talking about just how to talk to people in real life. And I was explaining to him how a lot of your friends aren't going to be able to, they won't have the skill of like real human interaction. They'll only know how to talk to each other through technology. And so just trying to coach him, like, what does it look like to look somebody in the eye, to shake somebody's hand, how firm you shake somebody's hand, what it's like for you to slow down enough to listen to somebody uh, in a world that's like technology has sped everything up. Like, son, what would it look like for you to actually be slow enough where you can actually just help somebody feel like they're listened to, which in 
for his generation, can you imagine like how rare of a quality that's going to be? It's going to be powerful, man. It's to, to the ability to just be able to listen slowly and to like have a slow pay. So yeah, man. Uh, the other thing that it does is it speeds up a lot of the conversations that I think a lot of us would have later, specifically in regards to like sexuality. Um, our kids are going to learn stuff faster because of technology. And so just constantly trying to be ahead of that curve. Like I don't want technology or any kind of like ads or, um, social channels or whatever to teach my kids about like sexual stuff. I want to be able to be the one that, that kind of leads that conversation. So just being proactive in that sense. In the book, you had brought up this idea of us wearing the Jesus Jersey. Yeah. And I kind of, I had this picture in my mind of me just taking off with this, with this ball in my hand and I'm like being told to carry it. And I'm wondering, just like you provoked, am I running in the wrong direction? Am I actually, you know, swimming with the current or am I swimming against it? And, you know, even just with this technology thing, am I, am I going against what is normal right now? Or am I just kind of sinking in with, with whatever's comfortable or whatever seems right? Yeah. That, I mean, the, what I talked about there for, for dads is like to know where the end zone is, like, where are you trying to go? I told the story how I, when I was in high school, I was a kicker on a football team. And I, the only reason I wanted to have a Jersey is so I can get the girl's attention to wear a football yeah. Jersey. Um, but I didn't That's really not shallow. Yeah, That's no, not shallow that, at all. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. Like I had no clue what I was doing. And, uh, so there, my coach put me in, in this play and they threw me the ball and I, like, I, I just, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I ran away from the defenders instead of just like loot, you know, get neutral yards on the play and ended up losing like over 60 yards before my own team tackled me before I ran into the wrong end zone. Yeah. And so I was just talking about like, where, where are we going? Like, what do we just want a Jesus Jersey? Like I just want a Jersey. Cause like the girl, I knew the girls liked football players, but do we just want like the Jesus Jersey? Cause we want our kids to be moral. Like, Hey, no, I'm a Christian. My kids are Christian. They're moral. We do the right thing. Like if that's our goal, like, we're, bro, we're going to confuse our kids. We're going to be confused. We're going to be all over the place. Um, and so you got to really figure out like, where am I trying to go as a man? And, and even more importantly, like, where am I trying to lead my wife and my kids? And if that's not clearly spelled out, like if you don't have tons of clarity on where you're trying to go as a man and as a family, everyone else will decide what the goal is for you. Coaches will. Uh, technology will school will like extracurricular activities will like everyone's going to say, Hey, this is the most important thing. And then what we find ourselves doing is just saying yes to everything. And we're exhausted. Like I, I run the podcast called dad tired, but like everyone's like exhaust their, their souls are exhausted because they're just saying yes to everything because they don't really know what they're trying to do. Maybe I want my kids to be athletic or smart or play piano or be the cutest one or whatever. And you're just like kind of chasing the wind, uh, as opposed to saying, man, none of that really matters. Like actually the goal here is that my kids love Jesus. Like that's the goal. And so now I'm starting to create some measurements to figure out like, how do we help get closer to that goal? That's the end zone. Anything else like, bro, you're, you're running the wrong direction. Or even just understanding the fact that you have to make plays to go towards the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And so when my wife heard the part about you just kind of almost buying a motorcycle, she looks at me, she's <laughs> like, this is you. I'm like, what do you mean? This is me. Yeah. I wouldn't just go out and do this. She's like, you do this all the time. Like yeah. she has to stop me and like, is this really line up with what we believe or what, with where we're trying to go in the future? I'm like, yeah. come on, babe. Why do you have to ruin yeah. the fun? Don't be a wet blanket. Yeah. <laughs> Why you being a wet blanket? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're, we're sitting here and we're in the middle of it. Um, we're in the middle of raising these children, um, aware that we have to change something, right? So let's say I'm a young dad and I'm coming up to you and I'm struggling to keep it together. 
at home. I want to lead him. I want to lead my family. I want to do a good job. I want to finish well. What are some practical tips, actionable, um, actionable advice that you would give to that young man uh, to get on that right path to go towards that end zone? Yeah, it's a good question. So the first thing I'd say is, and this one's going to sound like anyone listening is going to be like, come on, man, it's too spiritual. It's too like churchy. But I just, I believe this to be true. Anyone that claims to follow Jesus, we all know that we were saved by grace through faith, right? Like you did nothing. Most of us would agree, hopefully, that there was nothing you did that made God like you enough to save you. He didn't look at you and be like, oh, okay, you're following most of the rules. I guess I'm going to let you into heaven. Like the Bible says, you did nothing. You did absolutely nothing. God just saved you by his grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. So we agree with that. But where we get hung up is now that we are saved, we start to convince ourselves in order for God to keep liking us, we have to just get our act together. Like I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I better be waking up and having 5 a.m. devotionals and listening to Caleb and tithing 23%. Like if God really likes me, like these are unrealistic and also not biblical expectations. And so I always tell guys like, dude, you were saved by grace and you're also sustained by grace. God isn't looking at you like, man, I wish you would have had your act together by now. He knew exactly where you would be at this point. So advice to you would be this as a young husband, dad, man, to just say, God, I know that you saved me by your grace. Would you keep drawing my heart near to you by your grace? And that's okay. Like that's an okay prayer to say, I'm not close to God, but I want to be, and I don't know where to even begin. God, would you be the one to draw my heart close to you? I think God likes to answer those kind of prayers. So that'd be my first thing I tell you. The second thing is, and this is very practical. If a guy's serious, um, He's going to write out like the next 10 years, what he, where he envisions himself 10 years from now. So just sit down and write out like, where do I want to be as a man? Where do I want to be as a husband? Where do I want my kids to be 10 years from now? And be as specific as you can, like down to like what your life looks like day in and day out. What, where do you feel like God would call you if you just dreamt about 10 years from now? And then look at your current calendar, just like write out all the things you do in a given week and literally list them out and put next to it how many hours you spend on those particular tasks and ask yourself, are there certain things right now that need to be cut off of my calendar. Like I shouldn't be spending time, money or energy on these things because they're not helping me get to that 10 year goal. Um, or are there things that need to be on my calendar right now that I'm needed to be spending time, money and energy on that are going to help me get there that I'm not currently doing. I mean, that's like a super practical. And then that becomes your game plan. That's like, this is what I'm going after. And I, I say no to everything else. This is hidden home, man. I gotta be honest with you. This is amazing because both those practical tips that you're giving, like are speaking to what I'm struggling with the last two weeks. So mm. we're in a new year, yeah. which means new year's resolutions, right? Or goals, whatever you want to call them. The fact that I have the same new year's resolution for seven years in a row is telling me that I have not changed as much as I've hoped to. Right. Yeah. So I've been, I've been saying, I want to be a more patient man at the end of the year. Right. And I just kind of leave it at that. Right. And so I just hear you saying, you know, we're saved by grace, but then we're sustained by it. So coming to the Lord and just saying, Lord, would you keep drawing my heart to you? Right. That's awesome. Because then I'm not trying to focus on the fact that I just didn't reach this goal this year. And I'm beating myself up with shame over the fact that I'm still asking God to make me more patient. 
right. for seven years, right? right? That's like enough to be like, dude, you're, you're not a rookie anymore. You should be on your top game spit <laughs> polish, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then secondly, you're, you're saying, you know, to write out where you want to be in 10 years. And it's so funny because what the Lord is speaking to me is that stop focusing on what you want to do from year to year. And tell me, who do you want to be at the end of the year? Yeah. And more, more so, who do you want to be at the end of a decade? Yeah. So the fact that you're telling me here, man, 10 years, it's so good. I've heard somebody say before, um, measure your life um, by the decade, live in the day right yeah. now, yeah, but yeah. measure it by the decade. And I can actually go back. And instead of being beat up by shame that I haven't changed in the last seven years in one area of my life, I can say, well, I'm 27 now. When I was 17, I'm definitely not that guy. Yeah. And when I'm 37, I want to go back and be like, wow, I'm definitely not that guy. Yeah. The, the other thing that's good, man. And the, the other thing I would say to you and to the other guys listening is like, it's the Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's, it's God's kindness that really sets us free. And so it's not, you don't have to beat yourself up. Like, man, I'm not where I am the last seven years. I should have been growing. Like, why, where am I at? Like, it, we, you have the freedom. God knew exactly what he was getting into when he saved you. It's not like he's looking at you now and just like, man, dude, like, what are you doing? I thought you'd be further <laughs> along than this. Like God knew exactly where you would be right now. And he right. still saved you. Like he, th this isn't new to him. Um, and so, uh, you know, God plays the long game where we get so frustrated, but God, God's in it for the long game. He, here, here, I guess here's what I would say to like sum up that thought is, the verse that says he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Right. Mm, like he yes. will complete that good work in you, bro. Like that's not on you. He's going to do his work. Like, he, uh, you don't have to stress about it because he made the promise that he is going to complete the work that he started that's in good. you. And so it, like he, he's a man of his word. Like, let's just say that he will finish that work and he's going to do it regardless of you're not dumb enough or smart enough or like clever enough to get outside of that. He will finish the work that he started in you. So just rest in grace, man. He's got you where he wants you. So good. Hey, Jared, I want to switch gears a little bit. And uh, since we're talking about being dads, um, there's obviously a woman involved on the other side. I want yeah. to talk a little bit about um, our wives. I heard you say that the greatest gift that we can give to our children is to love their mother well. And what's funny about this is I read this book called um, Brain Rules. Mm. It's written by a guy who is not a Christian right? He, he believes in evolution. He's a leading uh, neurologist, mm. right? In the, in the U S no, in, in the world. And he gets asked all the time, what program can I give to my child in the womb or right outside the womb to make them smart? What can I do to get them into Harvard? It's always that proud dad in the back of the room. Like, how do I get my son into Princeton, you know, yeah. or into Yale? And all he does is say the same thing, go home and love your wife. Mm. This is not a God fearing man. Yeah. This is just a guy who knows the brain enough to say your children need this, not just spiritually, but devel uh, developmentally. Can you unpack that a bit? Yeah, that, I mean, well, that's super interesting. I, I want to read the book and, and kind of hear the argument behind that. Uh, Cause in my mind uh, from an evolution perspective, marriage just doesn't make sense. Um, like if you talk to any married person who's been long married longer than six months and you're like, Hey, is this awesome? Like, do you love it? Is it super fun? All of them are <laughs> going to be like, nah, it's pretty hard, man. Like this is rough. Like, uh, and so it's, what's so fascinating about marriage is that all of us keep doing it. 
right? Even knowing that it's going to be super hard. Um, and so from a secular perspective, uh, I guess the argument would be that it's for the sake of procreation. Like you commit to another human being so that you can make more humans and that the, the world keeps moving forward. Um, that's at it's like most evolutionary, like basic, uh, no Christian perspective, right? Like right. we're just created to like be with somebody so we can make babies and keep moving on. So that's super interesting from us, from a, from a Christian perspective, obviously we have a different mindset into marriage and our mindset is that marriage is actually making us more holy, that my wife is God's chosen partner for me. Uh, and you think back in Genesis where God said, let us make him a helper talking about Adam and Eve, let us make him a helper. Um, and so God is continuing to make helpers, right? He made your wife and my wife and our wives to make us to helpers, not necessarily soulmates, but helpers to help. So that we can become more like Christ. Um, and the, the beautiful thing that marriage does is it, it exposes who we are. Uh, I, I always say I never knew how like messed up of a dude I was. I didn't, I never knew how much sin and anger and impatience I had until I got married and had kids. It exposes that stuff in you. And now I know, okay, God is using my wife as a helper to be, help me become more like him. He's exposing sin in me. And what's crazy and what a bi- biblical marriage does is it, my wife will look at that and she sees all my sin and all my junk and all the things that make me wicked. And she says, I'm not leaving. I see all that. I know you fully and I'm choosing to love you fully. When that happens, she gives me a glimpse of the gospel. Where else am I going to find a picture of somebody knowing me fully and loving me fully? There's either people who kind of know me and love me, or there's people who really know me and they don't love me fully because they've seen too much junk. But in marriage, they're like, man, I see all of who you are and I'm still choosing to love you at the deepest level. That's the reality of that's giving our our kids and the people around us a glimpse of the gospel of a God who knows us fully and loves us fully. That's why I say the greatest gift you can give to your kids is to love your wife at that level, because then they get a glimpse of the gospel and a God that knows them fully and loves them fully at the same time. Well said, man. And I, I just sat down with uh, Gary Thomas, uh, who wrote Sacred Marriage. And uh, he kind of, it's awesome that we're landing here. So I'm now I'm thinking I might just release that podcast after this one. So you guys can get a seamless transition into that because he really digs deep into how God actually made marriage to make us holy and not just to make us happy. Yeah, that's right. But when happiness is the goal, man, are we falling short? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm thinking, thinking about expectations as you're, as you're kind of bringing all that up and, when I thought about getting married, I thought I was going to have a fun relationship with this woman, beautiful woman that's going to come in and make my life better. Right. And then all my pornography problems are also going to go away. So just a caveat there. Yeah. Um, and really what I ended up coming out with is exactly what you're talking about. So a, a mirror, you know, a yeah. mirror that was able to show me like how more, how much of a Christian am I, am I really becoming? Right. Because becoming a Christian is becoming Christ like. So for me to be Christ-like, I actually have to reflect his nature. So is that mirror actually reflecting the nature of Christ or is it uh, reflecting the selfishness uh, within me? And I love how you brought in the expectations um, thing in in the book. You were talking about how most people end up thinking they're going to get into marriage in board shorts and a bathing suit and just kind of do a nice lazy river kind of coast 
coast type of thing. And really they're heading right into, uh, what was it? Satan cesspool. Satan cesspool. <laughs> please, can you just please tell us that one, that one yeah, a little bit? I think I was just right out of high school, maybe start early in college. And I, uh, I, my friends invited me to go down, float down the river. Uh, we were at, I showed up in board shorts, no shirt. And I didn't have a life jacket on or anything. I'm just like floating down the river, river in this inflatable kayak. Uh, and two guys come up behind me and they've got uh, white water kayaks and they're in wetsuits and helmets and life jackets. And they're like, Hey man, have you ever done this river before? And I'm like, what do you mean done this river? And, uh, I, and I realized like, Oh geez, like I, I think I might be in over my head up here. And they, they go up ahead of me and I see them drop off the horizon. There's clearly a waterfall up ahead and I end up getting on that waterfall and I just get flipped out. And like I said, I'm, I'm just not prepared in any way for this. And I'm just getting beat up uh, underwater by the grace of God. I happened to pop out and survived. It was the only time in my life I actually prayed for my life. Um, but I, the, the analogy there is that so many of us get into marriage, like you said, thinking it's just going to be awesome. Like this relaxing float down the river and we find ourselves in Satan's cesspool. It's just, a, it's a, uh, it's hard and we're fighting for our lives. And it's just like, Holy cow, this is way, way harder than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, I always say, man, like we are terrible gods. Um, if we, if we think that our spouse is going to be the one that provides all of our joy and satisfaction and can free us from our sins, you mentioned like, I, I'll get married and I'll be free from pornography. If we think that our, our spouses can like cure us from all that, man, we're just putting an expectation on them. That's going to leave them super frustrated and us really, really bitter towards them. Yeah. Uh, your wife, as amazing as she is, and my wife, as amazing as she is, uh, she's just a terrible God and I'm a terrible God. Like we, we're just not meant to be gods. We're instead, we're supposed to point each other back to God. That's the role of marriage, you know, but not to be God for each other. I want to ask you real quick. How are you, uh, dating your wife in this season? Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard, especially it, it got harder when we had our newest. I forgot how hard it is with the baby. And I always just say, man, like for anyone that's got real young, like babies, uh, just give yourself grace. Date night may look like you put the kids to bed 20 minutes early and you have like a cup of tea uh, or you just like sit and together and watch a show like we like, that. We've had plenty of those nights over the last year where we just get like 20 minutes the last 20 minutes of the day alone. And, uh, we'll, we'll either, you know, watch a dumb show on Netflix or have a cup of tea and just talk about each other's day. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, very practical for, for people who have young babies. Uh, we try to, and before we had baby, we were really good at weekly date nights. We had grandma watching the kids once a week and we'd go out. Um, but I would just say this, man, it doesn't take like fancy dinner or roses or any of that stuff to pursue your wife's heart. Um, your yeah. wife can feel loved almost even more when you're just daily asking, Hey babe, how's your heart? Is there anything I can do to love you better? Is there anything I can do to help you today to be a better husband? Like these kinds of questions of just pursuing her heart and making her feel loved. It doesn't take like fancy anything, uh, for her just to feel really cherished, you know? Yeah. But I, th I feel like the simplicity of that almost feels like now nah, that's not going to work. That's not going to cut it. <laughs> like yeah. that's not going to do it. I, I need to go over the top. I need to do more. Um, and then an argument comes in, something gets thrown into the loop and you're like, she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Forget it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, uh, 
Well, the, the thing I would say to that, cause I've, I've heard that I felt that, uh, you know, the, she doesn't deserve it thing. And I, the only thing I would say to that and what I remind myself is you didn't deserve anything God has given you. And yet That's he right. keeps pursuing you every day. Uh, and so if you want to love your wife, the way Christ loves his church, then you realize like you didn't deserve anything and yeah. he's just faithful in his love. Your wife doesn't need to deserve anything to be loved. Um, if you're wanting to be a godly husband. So that, that's the first thing that's I'd say good. to that. And yeah, I just, yeah, just like, uh, I think we should do big things for our wife. Like maybe her feel cherished as much as we did when we date her, but it just doesn't always need to be like that. And, and I think something as simple as like asking your wife, how can I love you better? And just, uh, our wives are pretty ready to talk. <laughs> they'll give us answers. Uh, if we let them, they'll definitely give us answers and let us know where we're falling short. So just give them the freedom. Like, Hey, where am I, where am I falling short? How can I love you better? And then listen. That's good. A real practical tip here. I, I had my wife kind of wake me up with this idea of, Hey, can you start pursuing me like you did when we first met? Yeah. And when you, you know, looking at your three kids, looking at your daily schedule, you're like, are you serious? You know, like we didn't have this when we first met. And, but really there's this infatuation stage, um, that the woman loves, not because it feels so new or it feels so exciting. It's more because they feel so captivating and they feel cherished by you in those moments where you actually were like just head over heels. Yeah. So I, I figured out she essentially was just saying, can you put in as much effort, um, in loving me like you did back then. Can you do that now? Yeah. And I did something so simple, man. It got me so much brownie points. Guys, you can absolutely do this. I went online and I Googled questions for couples and I'm like, this is lame, right? <laughs> like I have to actually Google questions for couples, but you know what? We went out on walks and this was a nightly thing. We probably did this for about a month and we would get through maybe two or three questions out of over 500 Mm. every night mm. and just kind of go back and dialoguing. And it was maybe just a question of what did you think you would be, you know, when you were 30 and we just kind of unpack it and keep going and find another layer and another layer. And before you know it, I come back home and my wife is like all over me. Yeah. Like she's like, this is, that was amazing. Thank you so much. I'm like, I just Googled something, yeah. you know? <laughs> so guys, Hey, you can definitely steal that one there. Um, Jared, Hey, any last little nuggets of wisdom, anything you want to leave our listeners with, what do you got? Yeah, I would say this to anyone listening first, man, if you made it this far, thanks for listening. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a lot, but, uh, I would say for any dude listening, um, my last piece of advice would be this, the, the less secrets you have, the more joy you'll have. And, uh, so practice repentance either to another dude, practice confessing to another guy, another guy that you trust, um, living a life that just, it doesn't have secrecy. And when you do that, you're, you're just going to find that you have more and more joy guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Rain in Life podcast. Let's continue the conversation over at irainandlife.com. There you'll find videos, podcast episodes, and other resources that will help you reign in life. Until then, continue to march.